0: Well, everyone else is doing it, so I figured, why not do one myself? Let's rank the 14 SEC head football coaches. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked on Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily Gamecock headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina sports teams. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Lyon, and as mentioned at the opening of today's show, I am going to do my own personal ranking of all the SEC head football coaches, 1 through 14. I'm going to start out at the top of the show with my top four coaches going from 1 to 4. Then in the middle portion of the show, I'm going to quickly go through my coaches who are ranked from 14th to 11th. And then for the meat of the show, I'm going to discuss coaches 5 through 10 as I think that that is really where you could have a lot of interesting debate and discussion on who to place where. So that is going to be today's show. Before I get into today's show, as always, thank you. Making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecocks sports coverage. Okay, so let's start off with number one. Now, there's actually been some people who have put a different coach in this spot heading into this season. And if you were doing, I guess, a power ranking just based off last year, I would maybe understand why. But in my opinion, when it comes to coach rankings, It is important to look at a big picture. And if you involve the big picture, there's no debate who number one is. It's Nick Saban of Alabama. A career record of 274-67-1. Seven national championships. Ten SEC titles. He is the greatest of all time in college football for a reason. So, of course, naturally, if he's the best of all time, he is the best in the SEC. Unless Kirby was to win, like, two of the next three national titles and Nick Saban not win any, only at that point could you maybe put Kirby Smart ahead of Nick Saban in this spot. And speaking of Kirby Smart... He is my number two coach on this list. Kirby has a career record of 125 wins to 34 losses. He has one national championship, which, of course, he obviously won this past season with the Bulldogs. He has two college football playoff appearances, one SEC championship, and he has helped Georgia arrive amongst the elite. Obviously, I've mentioned this before. When Kirby Smart took over for the Georgia Bulldogs back in 2016, Mark Rick had done an admirable job with the Georgia Bulldogs program, and they, for the most part, had always been a team that you still had to consider as an SEC East contender, a team that made it to the SEC Championship game multiple times under Mark Rick's tutelage, and was considered to be a really good program. But the problem is... Bulldog fans were getting tired of being considered really good, along with probably getting tired of hearing the 1980 jokes. And so they hired Kirby Smart back in 2016. And Kirby Smart has only elevated the program's status ever since he got there. So Kirby Smart is my number two coach on my list. Number three, I got Brian Kelly of LSU. Now, Brian Kelly has been a winner pretty much everywhere he has been as he has a career record of 263 wins, 96 losses, and two ties. Now, he has one national title game appearance, which obviously was a disastrous blowout to Alabama, I believe 10 years ago now. He has two college football playoff appearances in the college football playoff era. He's a guy who, as I mentioned, he's a proven winner at multiple stops. And yes, while he went to programs who have had success in the past, and he has not maybe performed well, when it comes to the big games where everyone across the country is paying attention to you, he elevated Cincinnati while he was there in the late 2000s, and he brought Notre Dame back to national prominence after the tumultuous ending that was the Charlie Weiss era. While Charlie, Charlie Weiss did have some success earlier in his time at Notre Dame, the longer he stayed, Notre Dame sort of started to fall off of a cliff in terms of being considered amongst the nation's elite college football programs. And again, at a program like Notre Dame that's had so much success over their program's history, they don't expect to only win six, seven, eight, even nine games. Notre Dame fans, the diehards especially, they expect Notre Dame to be winning at least probably 10 plus games every year and to be contending for potential college football playoff berths. So... Brian Kelly is number three on my list. At number four, I got Jimbo Fisher from Texas A&M. Now, Fisher carries a 119-37 and career record heading into this season. He also has won a national championship as a head coach, has a college football playoff appearance to his own right, three ACC championships from back when he was at Florida State, and now lays claim to the greatest recruiting class in college football history with A&M's 2022 recruiting class. Now, I mentioned all this, and some of you may be sitting there wondering, well, Andrew, if he's won a national championship, he's made an appearance in the college football playoff, he's won conference championships, why is it that you have not ranked behind Brian Kelly? Well, the answer is pretty simple. My big question mark when it comes to Jimbo Fisher is just how good is he as a program elevator? And what I mean by that is simply, how much do you elevate the status or the expectations that were set on your program before you took the job? And yes, when Jimbo went to Florida State, at first he had a lot of success. I believe his first four seasons each, they won 10-plus games. They, of course, won a national championship with Jameis Winston there. And, of course, appeared in the college football playoff in its inaugural season. But the thing is, Jimbo Fisher hasn't won more than 10 games since the Jameis Winston years, his last season being in 2014. And he went 5-6 and six his last year at Florida State, which Florida State fans would obviously know way better than me maybe why this all took place. And... He hasn't won more than nine games in any of the four seasons he has coached at A&M. And this is despite all of the resources that he has at his disposal, which is a rabid fan base, a lot of alumni and boosters who have a lot of money that they can give to the program, top-notch facilities, being in the SEC. I could go on and on and on. And athletic director that's willing to spend some coin in order to get what he wants for the school. And yet, Jimbo hasn't done anything with any of that yet. Now, of course, again, he landed this great recruiting class for the 2022 cycle. And so now, he's pretty much now got the clock reset and it's going to start ticking as soon as they kick off for the 2022 football season. And I'd give him pretty much three or four years. If Jimbo does not win, at minimum, an SEC championship and appear in a college football playoff with this group that he just brought in. At that point, A&M fans have got to consider, really, if they're ever going to win anything of substance with Jimbo Fisher as their head coach. All right. Now, coming up in just a few moments, I'm going to give you all my rankings of SEC coaches from 14 all the way to 11 so basically the bottom four coaches in my opinion before i do so i have a quick message from my friends over at built bar now from the people who invent healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds you've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar but guess what your friends at built have given coconut brownie chunk the puffs treatment that's right The coconut brownie chunk built Bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen to me for a second. They are good for you. Low calories, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. So go to built.com now to make sure that you don't miss out. They're going fast because they taste amazing. All built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. And the best part about built Puffs, besides the 100% real chocolate, is that you can enjoy them guilt-free because they are actually good for you. They are the perfect treat, perfect when you've got a craving, you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, or if you need a quick, healthy snack after a workout. They are an excellent source of protein. Delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow, Stop fantasizing. Get to Belt.com right now to order your box of coconut brownie chunk Built Puffs now. And if you're looking to save money, we've got you covered there as well. When you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 50% off of your order. That's LOCKED in all caps, 15 at the end for 50% off at Built.com. Be sure to go now while the offer lasts. Okay. Now let's talk about the bottom four coaches in my rankings. Starting over with number 14, I got Clark Lee of Vanderbilt. Now, Clark Lee has a career record of 2-10, and 10, which of course was his first season at Vanderbilt this past year. He took the job in the 2020 offseason after having been the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame for the three previous seasons. And he knows Vanderbilt quite well. He played football for Vanderbilt from 2002 to 2004 as a fullback. For the Commodores. So, and I've mentioned this before, while I think Clark Lee could do wonders with Vanderbilt, and it's great that they've got someone in there that, again, knows the program very well, knows what they need, and how to sort of deliver his pitch of Vanderbilt football to prospective recruits, it's going to take time. This is a Vanderbilt Commodores team that under Derek Mason's last year there, was just not very good. They averaged like 14 points per game on offense, and I think gave up an average of about 35 to 38 points per game on defense. They ranked the worst in the country on both sides of the ball. And granted, it was the COVID season, but again, as I'll mention later with another point on another coach, everybody had to deal with COVID. So I I think that, again, Clark Lee... He could build this program to be competitive, sort of like Derek Mason did for a time where they're winning, you know, but somewhere between five to seven games, making bowl games, and not being an easy out for some of these teams in the SEC East. But again, he needs a couple of years to build up the talent on that roster before they can reach that point. Number 13, I got Eli Drinkwitz of Missouri. Now, Drinkwitz has a career record of 23 and 13, won Sun Belt Conference Championship, and has qualified for three bowls, despite the fact that he has departed before one of them and the other was canceled due to COVID in the 2020 bowl season. Now, he has done well at both of his stops, but the reason why I have Drinkwitz ranked at number 13 despite his career record is this he inherited a great situation at App State from Scott Satterfield, who left App State to take the Louisville head coaching job prior to Drinkwitz's arrival. And so far, in my opinion, while he hasn't necessarily done bad at Missouri, in my opinion, he hasn't really done anything to elevate the status, to up the expectations at Missouri. The only two things that I think Missouri has seen an uptick in since Drinkwitz's arrival has been offensive play calling. I give Drinkwitz a ton of credit. I think that he is fantastic at understanding his personnel and being able to cater offensive play calling to them based on their opponent. And also, their recruiting has been really good. I think Missouri ranked 15th or 14th according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings for this previous cycle that just ended back in February. And that is great considering what they were doing under Barry Odom the head coach who was there before Eli Drinkwood. So while he's done better in certain areas, I think that he's still got a little ways to go before Eli could see himself maybe jump over a couple of other coaches on this list. At number 12, I got Brian Harson of Auburn. Now, he has a career record of 82-31, and 31, four conference titles, and is a guy that has won a lot of games. But for kind of the same reasoning of why I ranked Eli, where I ranked him, he won at programs that were already in a really good spot. Arkansas State in 2013 was after Gus Malzahn had just left for Auburn. And by the way, that was the season Gus took Auburn all the way to the national championship game. in the final year of the BCS was a thing. And then he took over Boise State after legendary coach Chris Peterson left for the Washington job. And now he's come to Auburn and obviously... He deals with a tough hand in regards to the competition that he plays against and the people who decide his fate at the end of the day. Obviously, the Board of Trustees is who I'm referring to here. And he seems to be a good recruiter, but he doesn't seem to be a man of love languages, to say the least. And, of course, what I mean by that is essentially, could Harson get better at being able to find different ways to communicate with your players? One of the best qualities of the better coaches in this sport, and really in any sport, are coaches who can find different ways to be able to get the same points across two different players when you have a group of athletes, guys that come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And according to some of the stuff I saw on Twitter when the whole Brian Harson fiasco took place this offseason, I'm not quite certain that Harson has been able to master that skill just yet. That's not to say he's a bad person. That's not to say he's a bad coach. But... Just based on what I saw from some former Auburn players and guys who were getting ready to leave, it seems like there's a little left to be desired when it comes to that part of Coach Harson's coaching ability. Now, at number 11, I got Billy Napier of Florida. Now, Napier has a 40-12 and career record up to this point. He won two Sunbelt Conference Championships at Louisiana, and he won a lot of games at a place whom had had a lot of success under former head coach Mark Hudspeth and what many consider to be the best stretch in the school's history pertaining to football, although they had some wins vacated due to some violations of a former assistant of Mark Hutspitz. Now, Napier, nonetheless, did build on the success and managed to elevate the program's status to the point where last season, I think they went 12-1. and Their one loss was to Texas at Texas in Week 1. And he had taken them to a point where no Power 5 team that they played could not worry about them when seeing them on the schedule. This is Napier's first Power 5 head coaching job. So, of course, we'll see what happens after he has a year or two under his belt at Florida. Although, I think there is potential here with the Billy Napier hype. Okay, now I'm going to go to coaches 10 through 5. Starting off with number 10, this is where probably a lot of people are going to start to debate a little bit when it comes to my personal rankings. At number 10, I got Josh Heupel of Tennessee. Now, Josh Heupel has a 35 and 14 career record at this point in his career. One conference title. He is a two-time Football Writers Association of America first year Coach of the Year award winner. He's also appeared in four bowl games and has only won one of those games. Now, My thing with Josh Heupel is this, and it's the reason why I put him in number 10. As you can see with probably some of these other coaches I've listed down here, he inherited a great situation with Central Florida. He took over a program after they had just gone undefeated the year prior and were led by former head coach Scott Frost, who, of course, left to go to his alma mater at Nebraska. Now, the thing with Josh Heupel is while they didn't necessarily maybe fall off a cliff after Heupel took the job, They went down in the win column each year that he was there, including the COVID season, where the Knights only went 6-4, and despite having the second-best roster makeup in the American Athletic Conference, according to 24-7 Sports Team Talent Composite Rankings. Now, I understand that some might say holding the 2020 season against him is unfair to him, and While I'm willing to hear that point out, as I mentioned earlier, my retort to that would be that every single team in the country had to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And yes, I get it. It affected some teams maybe more than it did others. And while I can't necessarily say that I know what all went down with Central Florida's program, specifically during the COVID-19 season, They should have still had enough talent on that roster to win more than six games out of the 10 games they played that season. And that's why I got Josh Heupel ranked at number 10. Now, number nine, I have Shane Beamer of South Carolina. Now, Shane Beamer obviously went seven and six in his first season as a head coach last year has one bowl appearance, and won it in the Dukes-Mail Bowl against the North Carolina Tar Heels, and was a co-winner of the Football Writers Association of America First Year Coach of the Year Award this past season, along with Josh Heupel. Now, some would say that this is too high, considering the fact that Coach Beamer has only coached for one season. And, while I will be willing to hear an argument to maybe flip him and Josh Heupel in my rankings, I think that Shane Beamer deserves so much credit for what he did with the Gamecocks last year, despite all the circumstances that he had to deal with. If I told you that Shane Beamer went to become the head coach of an SEC program, the team had won two games the previous season. The culture was terrible when he got there. He had to start three different quarterbacks for four games each this past season, including a graduate assistant who had to basically swap out his visor and clipboard for a helmet and a jersey, and he had an offense that ranked in the bottom third of the country in every major statistical category. And despite all that, he won seven games. You would look at me with a straight face and say, there's absolutely no way under any circumstance a coach could pull that off, especially in the SEC. And yet, Coach Shane Beamer managed to do that with South Carolina last year. And again, I understand it. It wasn't maybe the sexiest way to win. The way they won, which was by getting turnovers, relying on the defense. And it took the offense a long ways into the season before they finally started to see remotely any success. And yet, again, they won seven games in spite of all of those factors. So, in my opinion... Coach Shane Beamer has earned the right to be at number 9 for this season. And, of course, we could see some movement on this list this next year. I would be willing to listen to maybe why Josh Heibel should be at 9. But in my opinion, with what Coach Shane Beamer did last year, he deserves this spot. Now, number 8, I've got Sam Pittman of Arkansas. Now, he carries a 12-11 and career record going into his third season at Arkansas. And he took an Arkansas team who had won seven games in three years to a nine-win season and an Outback Bowl victory this past year, his only appearance and subsequent bowl win. And he has effectively revitalized the Razorback football program. And I believe this next statement is correct. And if it is, it is a tremendous feat for them. Last season was the first time in school history that Arkansas managed to defeat Texas A&M, LSU, and Missouri all in the same season. What he has done in a short time, despite having never been a coordinator in his career before taking this head coaching job at Arkansas is nothing short of remarkable. He has made Arkansas a team once again that you have to worry about when you see them on your schedule and he deserves so much credit for leading the charge here and it'll be interesting to see what he does with Arkansas in year 3 coming up this fall. Now, at number 7, I got Lane Kiffin of Old Miss. Now, Lane Kiffin carries a 76 and 42 career record going into this year. He has two conference USA championship titles and five bowl appearances with a subsequent two and three bowl record. Now Lane Kiffin before last season could have potentially been a couple spots lower on my list as he would have been known as a guy who was a great offensive mind, but he couldn't elevate but he couldn't elevate a program beyond the G five level even when inheriting a good situation. His time with the Raiders aside, he went 7-6 in one infamous season at Tennessee after Philip Fulmer had just left. And uh, I don't know, Philip Fulmer did a lot of good things at Tennessee, like winning a national championship, winning multiple SEC titles, and appearing in multiple SEC title games. So yeah, was kind of a decent coach for Tennessee. He then went 28-15 in four seasons at Southern Cal, which made them so upset that they decided to fire him on a tarmac. Think about that. He then took the Florida Atlantic job in 2017 and won 10-plus games in two to three years that he was there. He's now at Ole Miss, where he went 5-5 five and five in the COVID-19 season and then led them to a 10-3 and three record last season and an appearance in the Sugar Bowl. He's made coming to the SIP, as he likes to say, cool for anyone who wants to play in a high-octane offense and a team who prides themselves on playing hard, being physical, and imposing their will on their opponents. Okay, now, for number six on this list, the second-to-last coach I'm going to talk about today, Mark Stoops of Kentucky holds this slot. Now, Mark Stoops has a 59-53 and career record up to this point, has won the SEC Coach of the Year Award in 2018, and appeared in six bowl games going four and two. Now, if you just looked at the career record itself without any context behind it, you would probably sit there and go, Mark Stoops should not be number six. But here's the thing. He has done this at a program where just 10 years ago, a lot of fans would have thought that the stuff that he's doing now would have been impossible. He has now made Kentucky fans care about football almost as much as they care about men's basketball. That is saying a lot. He also has two second-place finishes in the SEC Eastern Division to top this all off. He's given the program an identity. He has changed the expectation levels to exponential heights that Kentucky has rarely ever seen in their program's history. And he has now made the program respectable both from a conference standpoint and a national standpoint. The Cats now even have dreams of going to Atlanta and playing in the SEC championship game which just encapsulates the job that Mark Stoops has done in Lexington up to this point in his career. Now, the final coach on my list, at the number five slot, I've got Mike Leach of Mississippi State. Now, Mike Leach has 150 career wins and 103 career losses at this point in his career. He was the Big 12 coach of the year in 2008. As a two-time Pac-12 coach of the year, was the AFCA coach of the year, in 2018 he has 17 bowl appearances with an eight and nine record mike leach is truly one of the biggest characters in college football history but when he's not too busy talking to someone about geronimo and how great of a leader he was he's putting out heisman candidates every year with gaudy numbers in the air raid offense at the quarterback position his effect on the game spreads far and wide Learning from Hal mummy, he's had former assistants the likes of Art Bryles, Sonny Dykes, Dana Holgerson, Seth Littrell, and Lincoln Riley become future head coaches. And all of them except for Art Bryles are still active head coaches this day. He built up programs like Texas Tech and Washington State who aren't exactly known for football to the point where people who are even casual fans know who those programs are because of what Mike Leach did at both spots. Now, he's trying to replicate that success at Mississippi State, which is admittedly a school that's considered to be the least historic program in the SEC Western Division. But one thing's for sure, you can never count out a Mike Leach coach team on any given Saturday, nor should you ever miss a press conference because you never know what the man is going to to say, and that is why he holds the fifth spot on my SEC head coach power rankings. But with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's episode of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that you're all thoroughly in today's show. And man, I tell you what, it's really tough to come up with these lists, admittedly. And again, the bottom four and top four for this list, at least for the last year or two, have been pretty easy to sort of... Decipher through, but the middle portion of this list, it could definitely be a doozy and it can make you sit there for minutes and who knows, even hours on end, trying to sort of nitpick at certain aspects of coaches' careers and why maybe they should be ranked in a certain spot. So, want to hear y'all's thoughts down below in the comment section if you're watching this on YouTube. What coaches do you think I got right? Do you think maybe I was way wrong on this list? If I was wrong about your coach of your respective program, Give me some reasons why you think they should have been ranked in a different spot. I want to hear your thoughts down below. And if you're listening to this on audio podcast, then you can feel free to shoot me a message at a line underscore SC on Twitter. Let me know again why I was so correct on this or why I was way off with this list. But again, thank you to those of you who listened to today's episode. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. And I'll catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.